Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. In recent weeks, we've been thinking about some of the uh, bikes that really have defined um, some decades, the 1970s, the 1980s, the 90s and the 2000s. Uh, and Warren Roster, who's our senior technical editor here, he's been he's been involved in cycling for a long, long time, um, and has many sort of uh, memories and sort of feelings about bikes that really defined those decades. So we thought over this four part series over the next well next few weeks from now, um, we'd bring you a slightly more in depth uh, look at some of those key bikes. Now, last week, we talked about the Rally Competition Mark II from 1976. Um, and this week, we're talking about another rally. It's the Burner. Um, it was the BMX that almost defined an era, um, not just in, in cycling, but in popular culture as well. Next week, we're going to be talking about the giant TCR, which probably changed the shape of road bikes forever. Uh, and following that, it's the Cannondale Super 6 from the 2000s. Um, but we'll kick off this week, as I said, with the Rally Burner. Warren, give us a little bit of background um, to the bike itself. Well, I, you know, you can't talk about the Burner without talking about Rally. And, you know, Rally in the, if you're, you know, in Britain in the 70s or, or the 80s, the complete dominance in the bike industry just meant your first, your second, your third, your fourth bike were probably going to be a Rally. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know some people argue um, for... Um, you know, rallying the chopper, you know, so um, apologies, um, 
now if that you think that was your starting point for loving bikes because mm-hmm. it wasn't because um, everybody forgets the one and probably quite controversial thing about the chopper and that is it's shite <laughs> okay <laughs> it's fine for rolling to school you know um, with a mate on the back because of the big banana seat but it rode dreadfully uh-huh. it was unwieldy it was just trash right you know if you wanted to do anything even remotely sporty on a bike the chopper wasn't it good for wheelies because that's all it ever wanted to do because it was so unbalanced um just a dreadful dreadful thing Uh uh-huh rally burner completely different okay absolutely completely different you know it's hard to sort of state now and again we're talking you know this is a pre-internet age this is a pre all-consuming multi-channel you know kind of media life that we live in now it's hard to sort of explain how all-consuming the BMX craze was mm. in like 1982. And I'm talking from the perspective that, you know, I was just turning 10 when this happened, you know, and you couldn't look anywhere without seeing a BMX. Adverts on, you know, adverts on the one commercial TV show, mm-hmm. station. Chris Plackett's had BMXs on, you know, pop cans had BMX, BMX on, breakfast cereal had BMXs on it. It was literally everywhere, you know. Um, and it seemed like every other, you know, Every other episode of shows like Blue Peter would probably have somebody, you know, right. on a BMX. You know, when you're talking about, you know, kind of legendary British BMX riders, the guys like Andy Ruffle would be on there, you know, in his white jumpsuit, just hopping around on his back wheel or, yeah. or doing some cool wheelies or big jumps, you know, um, bunny hopping kids laying down, that sort of thing. And this was, it was totally mind blowing. Mm. Um, and then you were looking at, um, you know, some of those early, uh, usually imported. Magazines like Amer- you know American magazines, you know, so the really early stuff like BMX Action and, and stuff like that, and you were just looking at these these like amazing riders and great bikes, you know, from brands like like Hutch and Huffy and GT, mm. you know, huge huge um, concern in, in in that. But these were really exotic, made in America bikes, and they were expensive and they were really hard to find. And then Rally just brought out the burner, the Mark One burner at 1982, and it was just literally everywhere. I, you know, in my kind of group of friends, I don't know anybody in that year that didn't ask for a burner for Christmas. Right. And it's almost like when you reconvened at school and you everybody turned around on their bikes, um, there was the class system in, in operation. That's good, yeah. Because yeah. the Mark One, there were, I think there were, you know, and, and there, there were loads and loads of much more geeky BMX people out there than me. So I apologize for if I don't get the lineup completely right because I'm. You know, I'm thinking about things when, from when I was 10 years old. <laughs> you had the base model, which was, I became in blue or red with, I think the red one had a lot of white, white, cool white pads. The blue mm-hmm. one had the yellow pads. And then you had the tough burner, which was black and had gold bits on it. Mm-hmm. Looked really, really cool. And then you had the super burner, which had mag wheels. So you had five-spoke mag wheels. Like plastic. Plastic wheels, yeah, basically. You know, the myth was that if you buckled them, you could put them in a the freezer and they'd straighten out. <laughs> I, You know, my mum never let me put a... <laughs> Who's dirty, got a freezer dirty. big enough for a bike? Yeah, it'd be like a big chest freezer <laughs> yeah. in your garage, wouldn't it? But, you know, my mum would never, you know, would never go, yeah, yeah, you can put a wheel in, in with the frozen peas. <laughs> yeah, of course you can, you idiot. Um, uh, but that one, that one was just like the coolest. And it, it looked like gold chrome. But after you'd had it for a few months, you suddenly realised, well, actually what it was was a chrome bike that they'd plastic-coated with like a yellow, 
yellowy gold transparent coating. Uh-huh. Um, and so it looked super, super cool. But then once you'd binned it a couple of times down, you know, down the skate park and scratched it, mm. and then you realize, and then you you pick at it like a scab. Mm-hmm. And then and then eventually you'd end up, oh, my bike's now chrome because I've peeled all this plastic off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and that was, you know, I think that was the most expensive bike in the range and it was like 160 quid. Right. You know. Which in the early 80s was... It was a lot of money. A lot of money. A lot of money. But compared to, say, if you've got like an imported GT or something like that. Sure. That, you know, they were 200, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and that was, you know, that was serious, serious money. Yeah. And also, I think, because of, you know, like I talked about in the last episode, how big Rally were and how ubiquitous a name they were. If you went to your parents and went, I want X bike for Christmas, I want a GT for Christmas, they'd go, what the hell's that? Mm. You went, I want a Rally. Right, like, okay. You can have a Rally because it's almost like a brand you trusted. Sure. And so, and so, you know, what, what, what they did, you know, it was, because it was cheaper, it was more accessible. But also the fact that it could cut it against, you know, mm-hmm. all these like imported, you know, like like gank bikes. Um so for me the burner was the thing that absolutely cemented it's like the gateway drug into cycling. Yeah. Because you could see heroes riding them. And the ones they were riding weren't that much better than what you were riding, you mm-hmm. know. Um they they probably didn't have the cheap steel wheels that you know, we had on that. They'd have some like fancy array rims or something. But but they were fundamentally the same thing. Sure. Um, and so, you know, just riding that, and then it, it became, BMX was such a big influence on everybody that it almost became all-consuming, you know, and it didn't matter what sort of BMX were. You know, you could you could get into BMX racing and lots of little BMX mm-hmm. tracks, you know, started popping up everywhere. You know, in my little local town, like literally outside of the school, of my, uh, outside in the, you know, the um, recreation ground, Outside of my junior school, there was a little BMX track. Right. And we used to split our time between there, having like impromptu stupid races, mm-hmm. um, or we had a 1970s concrete skateboard park. Right. That had terrible transitions, was terrible for skateboarding on, even though I used to love skateboarding there. But it had a massive like kicker jump at the end. Uh-huh. And I spent far too long tanking around this skateboard park and hitting the big kicker jump at the end and it would usually be we'd stolen a you know a, a litter bin out of the park next door and mm-hmm. we'd put that there and you were trying to jump the litter bin yeah and then when you got into sort of slightly later years and whatever and some of the bigger kids were there it normally involved setting fire to that bin so then you were trying to jump flames <laughs> <laughs> but this skate park there would be 40 or 50 of us right you know and it became everything and and it just spawned this long kind of love affair with cycling. It didn't really matter what cycling you went into from it, but, you know, getting into, you know, there were lots of kids that were coming from kind of road cycling families and then mm. they've got a BMX and then they'd, they'd go into, you know, proper BMX racing. Yeah. Um, but, and then they'd be going back to the road, but then you got into the, like the BMX thing and then, then the kind of proto mountain bike thing started to happen. It seemed like the natural place to go. Yeah. You know, well, it's kind of like a BMX, but I can go further. Yeah. And faster. And so, it, it, you know, I just think that whole big early 80s BMX craze just spawned so much. Yeah. You know, it, it just sowed so many seeds in people of just cycling, but being fun and yeah. being, you know, and getting out and doing stuff and, you know, and, and, you know, being with it. And it was just that, 
you know, it's just that that um, you know, even now when I see a burner, it just brings back so many good memories mm-hmm. and bad memories and uh, and and stupid, you know, stupid kid memories and things. But it it just has such it's such a moment in time for such a lot of people, you know, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of, a lot of my mates like my age and stuff and a lot of them much, much um, more into the kind of BMX scene than I ever was to the point that they were, you know, seriously good, raced, um, you know, even some of them like raced internationally and mm. were, you know, cover stars or whatever. Mm. They'll still hold the burner in the same sort of regard. Right. Because it was their first yeah, yeah, yeah. taste. Yeah. You know, it was... You know, um, put it in terms you'll understand, Tom. It's like it was like the home brand mayonnaise before you got the helmet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. the, the gateway joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so even now, you know, if I see like that original Mark One burner with mag wheels in blue and yellow, yeah. I'm just like, wow, that's yeah, absolutely yeah. that's stunning. It's like, and that's before you get onto things, you know, the late because there was a Mark Two, there was a Mark One point two and a Mark Two and a Mark Three. You know, they mm. carried on and they just got bigger and bigger mm. and better. And then you had things like, you know, the Ultra Burner, the Tough Burner. Um, I mean, there were, I think there were 11 different versions of the Mark One before the Mark, later Marks came sure. out. You know, so it was a huge amount. And, but, you know, don't even get me started on the Mark Twos because, like, you know, the Mark Two Team Aero Burner, awesome. Yeah. You know, it was just, it just absolutely amazing. You know, this was a BMX that had aero tubing. Right. <laughs> Proper CFD aero tubing. <laughs> well, no, it's just no. Round tubes that have been crimped. <laughs> but when you looked at it, you thought, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Yeah, yeah. You know, should we let's talk about the actual the bike itself? And is there anything about the the build and the design that was noteworthy? Or well, I, I, there are lots of things on that original Mark One, which um, you know, like the the back end of it was like had a, like a loop tail, mm-hmm. you know, and there was some there been some classic kind of US bikes, like SE and stuff, you know. We're known for having this kind of loop tail design. Do you mean like a a, a one piece chain and seat stay sort yeah, yeah. of bent round? Yeah, it's literally it? a one piece that's been bent round. Like a Yeti arc, for example. Exactly, it? yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it had that, and then it was like this big plate dropout, so it just had like two big holes drilled in on. Right. And it was just kind of defined it. You know, the thing I would say about the burner is there was absolutely nothing special about it. Right. Apart from the amount of serial abuse they could take. Uh-huh. I'd still come back fighting, right? You know, they they weren't lighter than anybody else's. Mm. They weren't stiffer than anybody else's. They didn't have any sort of tangible performance things apart from being built like brick shit houses, basically. <laughs> and and if you were you know an early teens kid out trying to jump stuff you shouldn't be jumping and do stuff you shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what more do you want other than something that's just going to take a kick in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, did I, I, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave the whole kind of the way that you know BMX race bikes got slicker and faster, and they and they did the certain geometry things for somebody that literally knows about that sort of thing because mm. that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't bag, yeah. that wasn't BMX for the vast majority of people. The, sure. the mass, the vast majority of, of kids that were my age then, it was just. It's a bike for mucking about on, having a bit of a laugh with mates. Um, Suedo daredevilism is yeah. what you're interested in. You know, when once you got to that kind of racing thing, um, you were talking about. You know, I know I have conversations with guys that used to, you know, that used to race and stuff like that, and they still talk with absolute 
authority and sort of almost wonderment about things like pedals. Yeah. A certain type of pedal, you know, and just saying how insanely good they were. And I was like, well, all I want is a pedal that my Converse aren't going to slip off, mm-hmm. you know, or probably at that time, it was probably more like Dunlop Green Flash. I'm sure. going to slip off. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, so, you know, I'll leave it, I'll leave it for other people to talk about, you know, to, to talk about how BMX racing got technical and their bikes got better and better. Whereas, you know, for, for you know, for, for me and all my mates around me, the thing was like, it's not going to break. Yeah. You know. Did they did they put components on it, like, you know, say pedals, bars, wheels, that were also of a similar sort of... Or, or... Yeah, they, I mean, they, they tended to be pretty much, or, you know, this was, this was Rally at the Hayday, so it tended to be pretty much all their own parts. Right. And aside from things like the wheels, where, you know, you'd get, on, on the fancier bikes, you'd get things like the Arrayas, mm. or you'd get Skyway you know tough back wheels mm-hmm. um uh, you know and and some some fancy plastic saddles <laughs> and stuff but it was kind of i don't think we you know die comp brakes you know with a with a shorty die comp mx lever yeah you know which uh, you know is still still a very you know very ergonomically sound brake today you know mm. um but for 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 me and uh, you know, and all my mates then, you would, you you know, you'd probably go and buy something kind of cool and fancy for your bike, you know, once you, but it would be once you broke something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And going from, you know, the, I think like the, the, the base model burner came with these big flappy levers, which, you know, looked like they'd been borrowed off, you know, like a Montessa trials bike or something, <laughs> you know, with huge, great big ball in. So the first thing you wanted to do was upgrade those to like a, you know, two finger levers, because they were cool and they looked really minimal and everything, they weren't as good. Yeah, <laughs> they had no leverage, but they looked cool, and that's what it was all about. But it was, you know, basically just wanted stuff that wasn't well, I'm going to break. Yeah, it was just, it was this, um, you know, it's just these, you know, trying, I'm just trying to think of the things that we, you know, we went crazy for mushroom grips. Right. You know, that was one thing is that everybody you had to get some mushroom grips. Mm-hmm. And they were brilliant. They were super, super comfortable. But mm. they lasted about a week. Yeah, yeah, You know, they got gummy with, you know, yeah. with a mixture of preteen sweat and chewing gum. And, you know, <laughs> and then they were horrible. Yeah. And, and then they'd fall to bits. But, you know, yeah, but yeah. for that, that first, oh, I feel that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, you, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, when, when the burner first arrived, that, you know, the, the next school term, it was almost, you know, you, you sort of rank on, you know, yeah. Where people had sort of got onto that onto yeah. that ladder, what were the sort of the pretenders to the scene that maybe were there bikes that were similar but not quite there? Yeah, there were a lot of knockoffs. There, there, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the Burner was a knockoff of a lot of the great American bikes, sure, the GTs and things like that. And then, in sort of latter day, when you ended up with things like, you know, you ended up getting super tech built for purpose bikes. I mean, one of my mates got a. A horror master too, mm. which was it was seemed mind blowingly, you know, insane because it had like um, um, like a triple top tube with effectively created a platform so you could stand on it right for do freestyle sure and and stuff and you know it had almost like built in foot pegs and it had it you'd look at it now and go this it's got too much going on yeah it's got far too much going on but at the time you were like wow that's amazing yeah you know um. But then at the other end of the thing is there were a lot of, you know, cheap um, Far Eastern imports that mm-hmm. looked a bit like a burner, mm-hmm. you know, and 
terrible that kids are so awful that if you turn up to school on one of them, yeah, yeah, you were, you know, outcast. Yeah, it's like if your school bag, you know, if you if you had like a an Adidas knockoff that just said sport, yeah, know, like you're, it was the equivalent <laughs> of having that. But you know, but and it did it created this horrible, you know, almost horrible hierarchy. If you had the standard burner, you know, yeah, yeah, was fine. I was yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. But then if you had the super or the tough, or yeah, you were the God, big God dog. forbid, you had something, you know, American. If you had a Haro, or you know, I had a couple of mates that had GTS, and you were uh-huh. like, oh, you, <laughs> you know, I Envy. think you know, I can remember, I can remember my brother begging, begging for the super burner. Uh, whereas you know, my parents were like, well, you just get the standard one. Mm. And the difference in price was, I think the standard was like 120 quid mm-hmm. and the super was 160. Mm. And I think, you know, through him thrashing around on the floor and, you know, beating his <laughs> fist and screaming at his, you know, his lungs off, I think they settled on the on the tough, the middle one, yeah. which he was sort of happy with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then within weeks of, you know, weeks of after Christmas, he'd swap the, the gold spoked wheels on it for a set of Skyways and he was more than happy. Right. Even though they didn't match. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. they were completely different. Yeah. <laughs> But he was he was happy. Yeah. Even though it made his bike heavier and worse. But still wants to change that the, the sort of the whole BMX thing's kind of disappeared now, isn't it? Like I mean there's a you know, BMX is still a big thing and it's like yeah. But again I think there's a really there's a really I love the fact that, that that things like BMX now is so accessible, especially when you're looking at kind of what we now call freestyle, which is basically, you know, big big ramp work mm. and, and park you know park and street stuff um whereas freestyle of that area was literally hopping around and yeah you know it's kind of like dancing on the bike sort of thing but i mean i love now that that within seconds you can be looking on youtube and seeing some of the most gifted mm. riders that mm. ever be on a bike and the stuff that they can pull is absolutely insane but we're looking back then we were looking at still photographs in a magazine of guys doing like you know tabletops and cross-ups and mm-hmm. you know um you know foot plants and all this sort of thing and you didn't know how they'd done it yeah. you didn't know how they got from a to b and i think that spawned a really creative time mm-hmm. because you would try and try to emulate, emulate it. Yeah. a still image yeah and you didn't know how you got there you mm-hmm. didn't know how they got there or how they got back mm-hmm. to earth sort of thing and so i think it just drove this incredible progression because you couldn't work it, you know, you needed to try and work it out, so you'd have to work it out yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it led to so much variation in, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you think, you know, there was a thing, there was a particular trick, which now seems like madness. It just seems like it, it's just a way to induce terminal head injuries. And it was called the, basically it was called like the Van der Rohe. And right. I think it was named after, you know, the guy that invented it. And it was effectively, you did a big stoppy, a big like fast sort of moving stoppy and then you flicked it completely over so you basically did a forward roll with the bike right, and then okay. carried on riding so it's basically go over the handlebars land on your head <laughs> roll get back yeah. up and do it again and I had you know my mate with the hiring master uh-huh. it's pretty much the only trick he could do right <laughs> <laughs> and you think about it now and he wasn't he didn't wear a helmet nobody wore yeah, helmets yeah, yeah. you're thinking you're basically inducing you know head and neck injuries yeah and that was because of something they'd seen in a magazine yeah Sure. You know, it's like, I want to be able to do that. And it was only sort of, you know, much, much later when you actually saw that trick being performed at its best, that he didn't, you know, 
his head really didn't touch the floor that much. Well, he certainly didn't land on the back of his neck and flick over. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was it was a little bit more evolved than that. But because you'd seen it, in a, it like, oh, basically, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. I can basically induce an accident and try and ride <laughs> it out. You know, so I think there's um, it's just it, basically it was a joyful time. Sure. You know, of just learning about bikes, learning how to ride, and that's the other thing with with the BMX. It's such a simple machine. Hmm. You learn about bike maintenance from it, mm-hmm. and also because you know. You're a kid, and you didn't want to go home and tell you, tell you, you know, your mum and dad you broke it. Yeah, yeah. So fix you, you try and fix it yourself, you know. So, you know, it's where I learned how to recable. It's where I, you know, I, you know, I, you, you learn about lubricating things when they got squeaky, you mm. know. And and because it was, it was your daily transport. It was your fun. It was everything you did. You did look after it as well. Yeah. You know, it kind of, you know, it 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 taught most people, that, you know, just look after stuff. Mm. Yeah. You know? So. You know, I, I think there's a whole generation of people you know, my age and, 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 you know, slightly younger that owe so much to it. Yeah. Owe so much to just something as quite so humble as the as mm-hmm. the, as the burner. Yeah. Know, and BMX in general, really. Lovely stuff. Okay. Well, I think the next bike in our series is another bike that a lot of current bikes owe an awful lot to. It's a giant TCR. So we're going to talk about that next Friday on the Bike Radar podcast. Uh, thanks very much, Warren. Um, thanks, mate. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on Monday with one of our regular podcasts. Don't forget to listen to last week's, uh, last Friday's episode on the Rally Competition Mark II from the 70s. And as I said, next week we're talking about the 1990s with a giant DC. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.